I'm Tracy McCauley. And I'm Liz Zuleika. We are cardiology pharmacists, educators, and self-declared literature crusaders. And welcome to Cardioscripts, a cardiology podcast brought to you in collaboration with the ACCP Cardiology Practice and Research Network. In this episode of Cardioscripts, Tracy and Dr. Vicki Grew discuss the guided trial, heart failure, and med titration. You won't want to miss this. Enjoy the episode. Today on CardioScripts, I'm joined by Dr. Vicki Grew, who is a clinical associate professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Pharmacy and clinical pharmacist in the Heart Center at UI Health. Her teaching and clinical practice are in ambulatory cardiology with an emphasis on heart failure and optimizing guideline-directed medical therapy. She has successfully implemented a pharmacist-managed medication titration clinic to help patients achieve target doses of heart failure medications, making her the perfect person to speak to about the GUIDED trial and the recent secondary analysis. So thank you for joining me today on CardioScripts. To begin, I want to introduce folks to the trial that frames today's episode, the overall effect of natriuretic peptide guided therapy on hospitalization or cardiovascular mortality in high-risk patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, or the GUIDED trial, had aimed to determine whether biomarker-guided treatment strategy improved clinical outcomes compared to usual care. It began enrolling patients in December 2012 and completed enrollment in 2016 when the Data Safety Monitoring Board recommended stopping following the enrollment of just under 900 patients, about 200 short of their desired patient enrollment, and had followed them for only 15 months instead of the planned 24 months. They stopped this due to futility, showing no difference in the primary endpoint in timing of CV death or heart failure hospitalization or any of the key secondary endpoints. Today, though, we're going to focus on a recent secondary analysis that was published in April in JAMA Cardiology and sought to better understand why guideline-directed medical therapy wasn't necessarily optimized despite the protocol-driven approach used in GUIDED trial. So you have a better understanding of who was in this trial. The 900 patients in GUIDED were all patients with an EF less than 40, an average of 24% about 62 years of age, and one-third were female. Just over half were white, and a third of the patients were black. They were primarily New York Heart Association class two and three at the time of enrollment. And inclusion criteria included that patients had to have had a recent heart failure event, meaning IV diuretics as an outpatient or hospitalization for heart failure, and it had to have an NT pro-BMP that was greater than 1,000. At enrollment, the average was around 2,600. At baseline, their medications included 93% on beta blockers, 77% on ACE inhibitors, 50% on MRA, 75% requiring chronic diuretic therapy. At 12 months, as we've learned even more in this secondary analysis, there was no statistical significance in the change in the percentage of patients on guideline-directed medical therapy of any type. Medication titrations were captured at each requested visit, and the reason for a modification not being made was also captured. So these were evaluated in this study using Cox proportional hazard regressions to assess whether or not there was an independent association with changes and outcomes. They did find that higher doses of beta blockers were associated with reduced risk in the composite outcome of heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular death, and that was statistically significant with a p-value of 0.01 and that higher doses of ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers were associated with reduced risk of all-cause death. 
consistent with some of our clinical trials showing the importance of titration of these medicines. Medication changes were only made at 54% of qualifying visits, and most common reasons for not adjusting were that patients were clinically stable or already on maximal tolerated therapy, although only truly 130 patients or 15.5% achieved optimal guideline-directed medical therapy. The authors concluded that despite a protocol-driven approach, achieving goal guideline-directed medical therapy was obviously a disappointment. And although there were plenty of opportunities to existing visit medications weren't titrated, failure to do so could have been because of therapeutic inertia or the current clinical practice or even that guideline-directed medical therapy goals are potentially unrealistic. So that's a lot to take in. I think it's a good read. Um, I'd like to get sort of at first your overall thoughts on this analysis and the guided trial. Thank you so much for having me. This titrating medications for heart failure patients has been a passion of mine for quite some time. So I found this trial really interesting. First, the results in regards to use of or achieving target dose is pretty consistent with other registries, including the CHAMP-HRF registry that's the most recent and the European Society of Cardiology Registry, which took place between 2011 and 2013. What's disappointing is as we get, you know, move forward in time, the use of um, target doses really hasn't changed. The other thing from this trial that was um, consistent with other literature is correlating the dose with outcomes. So in the Biostat HF study, they were able to correlate dose with if you were on 50% or more, of the target dose, you had better outcomes than people on less than that. And those curves really separated if you were on 50% or more or 100% of the target dose of both agents, so ACE or ARB plus beta blocker. And then also with the heart failure action study, they looked at beta blocker dose and heart rate, and they found that the dose is what correlated with decrease in mortality and not the heart rate. So I think this data is pretty consistent. What's different about this study is it's the first trial to really examine why patients are not achieving these target doses. Um, As Tracy mentioned, it's really um, the most common reasons were that they were clinically stable or at the max tolerated dose. If you look at the supplemental data, there's a lot of interesting information in there, and they broke down what the doses actually were for people at max tolerated therapy, people at the guideline to rec- recommended target dose, and people at, that were clinically stable. And the clinically stable patients and the max tolerated therapy patients, their doses were very similar people at target dose, their doses were slightly higher, but overall still not the doses used in clinical trials. And we should note the definition for guideline recommended target dose in this study was 50% or more of the target dose used in the trial. The other thing I found a little bit interesting in the supplemental material is they converted everything to carvedilol equivalents, low sartan equivalents, and spironolactone equivalents. So they don't break down what drugs people were on, but when they converted the metoprolol, they divided it by two. So a 200 milligram metoprolol dose would have been equal to 100 milligrams of carvedilol. So they're probably actually over-reporting beta blocker dose. And then same thing with angiotensin receptor blockers. They took 150 milligrams of losartan as the target. But if you were on Valsartan, 320 a day, the conversion was multiplied by 0.6. So that would put you on like 190 some milligrams of Losartan. So again, probably over-reporting these doses slightly. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that their targets weren't really what we're thinking of as the targets even for guideline-directed medical therapy, which 
further points out how hard this is to achieve. So you do this every day with your patients. So what is your approach and when do you sort of throw your hands up? So I really stop when the patients tell me to stop and they're really experiencing symptoms. And I think they tried in this study to do an analysis um, looking at hard data that they had, including heart rate, blood pressure, potassium, and renal function to see if any of that correlated. And really the blood pressure in the people in max tolerated was the lowest out of all the groups, the median being about 100 to 104. But in our patients, if their blood pressure is 100 and they're not experiencing any dizziness or lightheadedness, we still increase until they tell us they can't tolerate it. So I think sometimes people might be looking at the numbers as opposed to the patient as a whole. The heart rates were 70, so there's plenty of room to go up there. EGFR was in the 50s in the people on max tolerated, so no reason there not to increase. Potassiums were 4.4. The time this came out was really just as new literature, and really in the middle of the trial, new literature became available about ARNI. And then even since then, we've had the DAPA-HF trial with the pagliflozin. So it feels like it's even gotten harder and we never figured out how to implement fully the basic heart failure medications, if you will, with beta blockers, RAS inhibitors, and MRAs. So what does this look like adding those two additional entities to your armamentarium and and how you're all approaching those therapies? So we still prioritize the ACER ARB and beta blocker. And then along with if they're still symptomatic, aldosterone antagonist until we get their repeat echo. And if their repeat echo isn't showing an improvement or if they're still symptomatic, you know, with a low EF, then we start looking at other therapies. And it'll be interesting to see when the next set of guidelines come out, how they put the dipagliflozin data in there, because I think it's going to just be another choice. And I think that makes it difficult too, is you start with these drugs, which we're already showing we're not doing a very good job at. And then we have all these options on where to go next. And so how to make those selections oftentimes are going to be determined, you know, by some contraindications, by their vital signs, by their labs, helps rule out some of the drugs. But if they have a good blood pressure, good renal function, good potassium, like where do you go next? So Vicki, it doesn't fit exactly, but I want to talk a little bit about a paper that was published in March 2020, also in JAMA Cardiology. It published the results of 15,000 patients who agreed to participate in a survey about living with heart failure and their familiarity with guideline-directed medical therapy and their concerns about it. And it really just showed that there's a big education gap when it comes to patients understanding the importance and the true efficacy and safety of these therapies. And you hinted at that with, you know, we kind of go until the patients stop. So I'm assuming your patients get a tremendous amount of education about the importance of this. And what do you sort of think the rest of us should be doing to, to play a role in that? Yeah, I think that's one of my large roles in the clinic is explaining to the patients why we're doing what we're doing. Oftentimes, as we know on their education information they get from the pharmacy, it says this medication is for their blood pressure, and many of these patients don't have high blood pressure. So that's a first education point in explaining that this is a medicine we're used to treat your heart. We also use it in patients with high blood pressure, but for you, we're using it to treat your heart. With high blood pressure, I explain that it's being used to treat both. So I call it a two-for-one effect that we're treating their blood pressure and their heart failure. And then I really try to give them some patient-level education on what these medicines are doing. So I'll talk to them about how their body is building up these chemicals and hormones to try to make the heart work stronger, but those chemicals and hormones are actually causing more damage. 
and we're using these medications to interrupt that process and help their heart get stronger, help them live longer, help them keep them out of the hospital. So Vicki, there were several reasons that a clinician could pick for why they were not making a medication change. As I expressed, the most common were that they documented the patient was at guideline recommended target dose at maximally tolerated therapy, which we know not to be true based on the results. And also the third most selected was that the patients were clinically stable. They could have also said that it was not indicated or that NT pro BNP was already at target range or that it was patient's preference along with clinician decision or that they were unable to tolerate for a recent hospitalization. So what are your thoughts on looking at these choices? So the clinically stable, I think, is probably what we're seeing throughout the country or the clinical inertia because they don't see the patient feeling sick, so they don't need feel like they need to add that medication or increase the doses. Um, I think I found some of that um, when we were evaluating our titration clinic because we had patients that were referred to me for med titration versus patients that were managed by general cardiology. And in our baseline criteria, the people managed by general cardiology tended to be functional class two and had heart failure for a longer period of time. So probably interpreted as being stable where the patients referred to me were more new diagnoses. In the guided trial, they evaluated NT pro BNP in the three categories, the clinically stable, the max tolerated, and the guideline recommended dose. And in the clinically stable, their NT pro BNP was around 3,000 in the biomarker guided and 1,900 in the usual care. And that was very similar to those that were at the max tolerated dose and higher than those at the guideline recommended dose. So this is consistent, like these BNPs are high. So these people probably need more therapy. Um, and that's consistent with it, with what they found in CHAMP-HF. They found like the patients most likely in need of more doses are the ones least likely to get it. How do you feel that this trial affects the need to expand clinical pharmacy services into areas across the country like what you're doing? I think it supports whether it's clinical pharmacy or any of the APPs that there is room for improvement in these patients and physicians may not have the capacity to do this on their own, but really having people that are trained in heart failure and knowledgeable of heart failure and know and have the time and knowledge to work with these patients could help improve use of GDMT and outcomes. Is there anything that you think from the study and the supplemental information you found that you want to make sure people hear? Uh, I think the main message from this trial is that outcomes are related to dose. So even in your clinically stable patients, you need to try to achieve those target doses to improve their outcomes in the long run. In our next episode of CardioScripts, we'll be joined by Dr. John Lindsley and discussing the popular TAVI trial. Thanks for tuning in to CardioScripts. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Cardioscripts and check out our website at Cardioscripts.com. The views and opinions are those of the individuals on today's episode. The ACCP Cardiology PRN is not responsible for the presented content or its accuracy.